0: Everybody wants to say uh, happy birthday to JT. His birthday's tomorrow. Happy birthday! <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> the title of my message this morning. If you're taking notes. <clears throat> is holy failures, H-O-L-Y, failures. And if you're also taking notes, write in parentheses another word that sounds just like it, and that's holy, h w h o l l y, I believe. So the word means complete failures. And the other one means they're holy, but also failures. So holy failures, take it however you want. Either you take the Holy Failure's title or the Holy Failure's title. But both are the same. How many have ever been, this is a message on discouragement and hopelessness. How many have ever been discouraged? And discouragement, literally if you look at the word, it's taking courage that you once had and just totally draining it out of your soul. And so there are things in life, there are a lot of things in life that just take your courage and it just disappears suddenly. Who may have ever had that happen? Man, encouragement is there, strength is there, I feel like I can do anything for God, and then all of a sudden in thin air, sometimes in moments, just it, it disappears. And so the enemy, this is a work of the enemy. The enemy is there to discourage you. The enemy is there to discourage me. The enemy is there to discourage this church. So we've got to figure out how's the enemy doing this. How's the enemy able to discourage? Because if the enemy can regularly attack your courage, um, he can eventually pull you down so far, you'll be hopeless. You'll have a hopelessness about you. Because you've been discouraged so long, you've been um, ripped completely out of your soul, courage. And without courage, we all are fearful, trembling creatures that have nothing to stand on. So we've got to figure out, how is the enemy getting away with this? How does the enemy do it? How does the enemy drag us all the way down? Have you ever felt like discouragement was like an anchor? And it just keeps pulling you deeper and deeper and deeper because you don't have any courage to stand. And it takes you so deep, you become just completely hopeless. And you just can't see the way out. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people in the world, not not just the church, but people that don't go to this church, people all around this area are just discouraged. You know, and it's just uh, part of the world that we live in. You're going to run into a lot of discouraged people. And if you look around and you can't find one, just go home and find a mirror. Because it's universal. And so we got to find a way to fight this. We've got to find a way to recognize this. And we've got to find a way to get out of what is called discouragement. We've got to find out how to be courageous again. And somehow the Lord's got to impart to us the courage to do what he's called us to do. Because with discouragement, how many know we can't do it? Discouragement just takes, it saps every bit of faith out of you. And it'll make you sit home and it'll make you just say to yourself, why do I even try? And see, this is the words that the enemy will speak in your ear. You know, a lot of times the enemy doesn't even need anybody to do it enemy doesn't need the help of a vessel. The enemy doesn't need the help of flesh and blood. Sometimes he's got a direct ear to you. Sometimes he can just sit in your room and say, why do you even try? Why do you even make the effort? Why do you even try to live this life? Nobody around you is doing it. Why do you try so hard to do the right thing? Why don't you just do what feels good for you? Why do you do this? how I many have ever had the enemy have your ear like that? And the enemy will plunge you deeper and deeper into discouragement and hopelessness. And sometimes if he can't speak directly in your ear, he will speak to the ones that are the closest to you. He'll talk to you through your family. I mean, know that's true. It's not them. It's not them that we battle against. It's not flesh and blood, the Bible says. The Bible says it's principalities in high places. And I believe that. The enemy will speak through your family. The enemy will speak through your church. The enemy will speak through all kinds of people to rip the courage right out of your heart and leave you helpless. <clears throat> so in the story here, Haggai chapter 1 verses one Through chapter 2 verse 9, this is a little bit of a long reading. But my title in my Bible says, The Call to Build the House of the Lord. The Call to Build the House of the Lord. Now in your Bible, you'll begin to realize that the House of the Lord first and foremost is you. How many know that's true? The first direct place that the Holy Spirit wants to live is in His temple. And the Bible said that temple is you and me. So if we're a believer, He's purchased us with a price, and we're a temple of the Holy Spirit. And this particular chapter is speaking to me spiritually because it says, the call to build the house of the Lord. So this is a call from the Holy Spirit to build that house that has been damaged, and the Holy Spirit wants to live in this house. So it tells me something has happened to this house. And if you begin to study the book of Haggai, the book of Zechariah, Ezra, Nehemiah, um, all of these books are coming in a period of time where the enemy has destroyed the house of God. In fact, uh, the Babylonian invasion was five um, around 586 and 587 B.C., they destroyed the temple completely. The temple is a uh, rubble. It's just completely destroyed in ruins everywhere. And for 70 years, it was appointed that the Babylonians would rule over them. But to the day, 70 years later, God would rebuild His temple. And so the Spirit of the Lord is beginning to come upon men like Haggai... And he's beginning to tell them that I want to rebuild God's house. And so I'm going to read this long reading here, but just know as I'm reading this, this is the call to build what the enemy has destroyed. And you say, well, how quick can the enemy destroy? The enemy can come in and the enemy could just wipe you out. The work of the enemy is real. The enemy can come in and the work of the enemy is he can destroy the house of God overnight. And you can begin to walk around and you can begin to say, man, this, what, what happened here? The Spirit of the God used to live here, but the enemy has came in and his work has destroyed me. It's wiped me out, man. It's, it's damaged me. It's hurt me. And the Spirit of the Lord was here, but now the enemy has come in and he's done his work. And what God wants to do is to give you the courage to rebuild the house of God and God's got promises he's going to fill the house with his glory and he's going to do great things in that house. And when God's people individually begin to understand that they're the temple of the living God and the Spirit of God wants to live in there, then this house will have the Spirit of God. When God can revive the stones in this house and people begin moving the Holy Spirit and God can have a holy habitation with individuals, then God can begin to move in a church. But it won't happen the other way around. God's got to begin to move in his people. So as we begin to read Haggai, the call to build the house of the Lord, it says in the second second year of King Darius... On the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Sheltil, governor of Judah, and Joshua to Josedag the high priest. This is the Lord Almighty, said this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, listen to what they're saying. The time has not come yet to build, rebuild the Lord's house. Think about that in context of what I'm talking about, they're saying it's not time right now to get ourselves right with God. It's not time yet to build the ruins that the enemy has destroyed. This place, it was utterly destroyed. How many know that this temple was so terribly destroyed? Seventy years of just sitting there in piles. It says, Nehemiah, when he came to survey the area, he came to look at it, he just cried. He just wept because he couldn't believe how thorough the destruction of this place was. He cried and he cried and they'd come and look at it and the damage was so extensive that he said, there's no way we can rebuild it. And the people just kept saying, it's not time yet to do this. How I many you know it's time? This is the call to rebuild God's house. Now is the time to rebuild the place where God wants to live. God wants to rebuild our houses. God wants to rebuild us. God wants to make us a holy habitation where he can have an impact in the world that's around us. And it says, the people said the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. How many appreciate the word of the Lord coming from this man of God? It says, Is it time for you yourself to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruins? Ouch. Is it time for you to be living in such pleasure all about yourself when God really wants a place to live and He can't do it? But the people just say, It's not time. It's not time. And he goes on and he says, now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give very careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you have not had your fill. You put on your clothes, but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse that have holes in them. That means your life is not being fulfilled your life is not being, the blessing of God is not on it because you're ignoring the house that God wants to live in. I'm going to live my life for myself. I'm not going to live my life to be a habitation for the Holy Spirit. It's all going to be about me. And as long as it's about me, how can the Holy Spirit ever live there? What's well, it's quiet in here. I'm sorry. I'll lower my voice. <laughs> too loud, I guess. I'm sorry. I'll try to have a more pleasant voice here. Let's see. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so I may take pleasure in it and be honored. Are you hearing what God's saying? Make your house ready so I can be honored through you. I want to be honored in the world around you, so make this house ready so I can be honored in the world around you. It says, "You, you have expected much, but see, it turns out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because my house, my house remains a ruin. While each of you are busy with your own houses... Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld the dew and earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock and all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shotil, Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God, and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the message to the Lord, of the Lord to the people. And God said, I am with you. Praise God. God says, I am with you. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shaltil, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord God Almighty, on the 24th day of the sixth month. Now, my title says here, The Promised Glory of the New House. Chapter 2, In the second year of King Darius, on the 21st day of the seventh month, word of the Lord came to me, the prophet Haggai, speak to Zerubbabel and to Joshua, the high priest, and the remnant of the people. Ask them, Who of you is left that saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you right now? is a weird question? How I many of you remember the old temple that was destroyed? What do you think about my new one? Because the old temple, Solomon put a fortune into it. In fact, David gave most of his money to build that temple. That temple was beautiful. That temple was gold everywhere, okay? It was an expensive, expensive temple. This one didn't look anything like it. This one wasn't really as impressive as that one. So God wants to know how do you think it looks, you who were around to see the old one. He knows the answer outwardly. The old one looked a lot better. So this affected the people because of the way this one looked. It didn't look as good. So he goes on and he says, Doesn't it look to you like it is nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, because I am with you. This is what I have covenanted. I've made an agreement with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you, so do not be afraid and do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations... And what is desired by all of the nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. What he's saying there is, the old one looked better on the outside, but this one, the Messiah is going to walk in. He's going to fill this house, and it's so much better than the one that looked good on the outside. This one's going to look good because it's going to have the Messiah on the inside. God's given a message to us today. I want you to hear it. Stay with me. And then he says, I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver's mine, the gold is mine, declares God. Now, why would he say that? Because the old house was nothing but silver and gold. This one didn't have the silver and gold. This one didn't look so good on the outside, but it was filled with the Messiah's glory. Jesus was going to walk into this house. He said, I have all the silver and I have all the gold, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of the present house will be what? greater than the old one, says the Lord. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Let's pray. Father, right now, anoint your word. Anoint your people, Lord. Deliver us, Lord God, from discouragement and hopelessness, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. So God's making some amazing promises here. The promise is that your house is going to be greater than anything that's ever been in the past because God is going to come in your house and He's going to fill it with glory. The Messiah is going to come live within you and God's going to do amazing things through your house. But these people that are here, they were really discouraged. They were looking around and all they could see is the ruins. In fact, do you know that they laid a foundation to rebuild God's house 15 years before this? For 15 years, the foundation was there and God wanted to build this house to do mighty things in their life and in their day. But for 15 years, it sat there and nobody would do a thing. Nobody would move whatsoever to do anything for God. The foundation sat there and everybody went back to building their own houses. Everybody went back to selfish living. Everybody went back to living for me and only me. And you know what kept pushing them back to that? Discouragement. Every time they would start to do something for God, something would get in the way. Something would discourage them. Something would stop them. Something would slow them down. Something would delay them. And I'm telling you, this is our human nature. How many know that's the truth? God wants to do something in your, great in your life, but discouragement. The enemy comes in, pulls that courage right out of you, and brings hopelessness. So now instead of being a place that's full of God's Spirit and doing mighty things on the earth, it sits dormant for 15 years. It sits dormant for 15 years. And now the spirit of Zerubbabel and the spirit of Joshua is being raised up. And they begin to address the people. And the people are just looking at ruins. How many have ever looked at something that is just ruined in a disaster? Have you ever been in a home that's been wiped out with fire? That's what this city was. It was an entire city that had just been ransacked by the enemy. And so there's all this mess in there and all this stuff. and, And you say, man, that could be my heart man, I got all this stuff in here that's just been ruined, It's just been destroyed, all this mess that's in here. And sometimes you look at it and you just close the door of your heart and you just get discouraged and you say, it's too much. It's too much. I can't deal with all of the discouragement that's in my life right now. There's so much going on that I just feel like giving up. And if you're the person who's saying, I feel like giving up and I feel like a, a complete failure, how I many you know that you're in good company? I'm raising my hand. You know that seventy percent of pastors battle with severe depression. Eighty three percent struggle with inadequacy and don't feel like they're doing enough. That sound true to you? Once a month, on average, a minister wants to quit. So if the ministers are struggling with that much, um, that much, um, what's my word? Discouragement. Yeah, I forgot the word. They're struggling with that much discouragement. How much is everybody else struggling? i got to think the percentages are at least those are higher. And we're all battling this thing called discouragement where the enemy just has an ability to rip out our courage. Listen to this. Who suffers from discouragement? I would say everybody suffers from discouragement, right? But we got to fight it. We can't just let it take its toll on us and destroy us and wipe us out, right? we got to find a way to fight it. So who suffers with it? In fact, I wrote this down. Satan is an accuser. He is excellent at causing discouragement and speaking lies to your heart. I want you to watch some of the people here. Elijah. Elijah was a great, great, great man of God. Elijah was one that trusted God. God did mighty things through Elijah. God did incredible things. In fact, there was a period in Elijah's life where he thought he had wiped out idolatry in his nation. God had literally put on such a display in front of that nation that Elijah really, most commentators believe that he really believed he had purged idolatry from that nation. Ahab and Jezebel were king and queen. And Elijah had been led by God to go to a mountain and challenge the prophets of Baal. These wicked prophets that had led this nation into wickedness and terrible things. So Elijah begins to walk up to the mountain and God dramatically displays how powerful he is. The prophets of Baal are there. They make a sacrifice and a lot of you know the story. And he says, hey, call upon your gods. All the prophets were there. Call upon your gods. Call upon them. Tell them to consume this fire. And they called upon him. They cut themselves. They called out to their gods and Elijah just belly laughed. He laughed and he laughed and he laughed and he said, they must be asleep. And then he said, they must be on vacation or they must have went to go use the bathroom. And he just mocked them and he laughed at them. And the whole nation assembled to watch this. And he just made a show of them openly and then he said, okay, now I'll call upon my God. And he asked them to douse the sacrifice with water just to make sure they knew that his God was great. And God showed up. God consumed the fire. And you know that day, every one of the prophets that were there were put to death. And it looked like revival was going to happen. Elijah's eyes had finally seen that God was going to move in the midst of this people. And the courage he had to have. How many have ever been there. You've been on that mountain and you're like, man, I'm going to do everything for God. They can't slow us down now. I'm going to do great things for God. I'm not afraid of anything. And the next thing you find is Jezebel saying, I swear to you that before tomorrow is done, I will kill that prophet. And he stood courageous and suddenly... Couldn't run away fast enough. How many have ever done that? Man, you've won these great battles for God. Great battles God has won for you, through you. And then something hit you. It hits you, man. And here's the thing about it. The things that rip the discouragement out of your heart, it's like somebody knows what button that is. Somebody knows, like God... What button to push that you'll stop trusting God? How many know that God is refining us, even through our failures? If you're afraid to fail, I'm sorry. This message probably will be discouraging to you. Because I've learned much more in my failures than I've ever learned in my successes. And God's goal for us as people of God is to purify us, to take out anything in us that could destroy us, to take the gold and purify it and let everything come to the top that's impure. And sometimes the only way that God can do that is through failure. And Elijah begins to run. In fact, he takes his uh, prophet that's underneath him that is soaking it all in. He's like... Man, I want to be a man of God. I want to be just like this man of God. And he's so perfect and he's so wonderful. And, and, uh, man, there's not a platform big enough for Elijah. And he says, okay, let's go. Where are we going? We've got to get out of town really fast. I'm about to be killed by this one. And so he drops him off in a jurisdiction where he would be safe. He runs as fast as he can and hides out in the wilderness and sits under a broom tree. And listen to what he said. It says, while he himself, when a day's journey in the wilderness, he came to a broom bush. How many of you ever sat under a broom bush? Spiritually. All right, I have. All right, he sat under the bush, and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. How many of you ever been there? It's like I've been pushed to the brink. I've been pushed the farthest That I could possibly go. I've been stretched to the limit of me. And I'm destroyed here. I'm beat up. I'm destroyed. I'm wiped out. I don't know where to go. I can't look left. I can't look right. I can't look behind. I can't look forward. I've been destroyed here, God. And he said, I just want to die. That's hopelessness where he's at. He sees no hope. And he says, I am no better than my ancestors. This was the same Courageous man that stood up and to all the prophets of Baal. God answered for him. He called out to God and God answered. But here he is, a total failure. How many have been there? Total, complete failure. Now, don't raise your hand. I don't want you guys to know that you've been under the broom bush tree with me, all right? Don't let people see that, right? Total failure. Now, if this were just one man, I would say that it was just Elijah had some faults. And, you know, he was just disobedient to God and God did something bad and allowed something to happen because the enemy was going to overtake him and God just was helpless to help him because the enemy was so mighty. But if it keeps happening to godly people, then God's doing it for a purpose and God's using the enemy to purify his servant. I may agree with that. If it keeps happening, God's trying to tell us something. That God's putting us under the broom bush for a reason and He's doing something in us that's going to make us better. So the next one I want to look at. Moses. Look at Numbers chapter 11. There's another place in the Bible where Moses... Another place in the Bible where Moses is being attacked um, by his brother and his sister. And it makes the statement that um, Moses was the most humble man on the planet. I want you to think about that. The most humble man on the planet. And God found a button to push where Moses or where Moses would be to the point of discouragement and hopelessness. The most humble man on the planet, God's go to man, the best that God had, and there was some button that God found that he could push, where even Moses would be hopeless, and Moses would be discouraged, you say, Man, that's cruel of God. Maybe you should turn the cruel of God to that's pretty cool of God. Because God's trying to make a man of God. God's trying to take you and he will push you to the limits. He'll push you to the limits to make you the kind of person that he can trust. Make you the kind of person where the Holy Spirit can live within you. Where the Holy Spirit could do something great, but we're so comfortable with ourselves. We're so comfortable with living for ourselves that if God gives us a little discomfort, we stop building the house of God. We won't build it like God says because we want to be so comfortable in ourselves. But he goes on with Moses, and Moses chapter 11, verse 15, listen to the man of God. Let's go up to 13. It says, where can I get meat for all these people? The people keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat, Moses. Give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself, Lord. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you are going to treat me, put me to death right now. If I have found favor in your eyes, and do not let me face my own ruin. That's the man of God. That's the great Moses. You see Moses here, discouraged and hopeless? Moses is like, if this is how you're going to treat me, God... If this is how you're going to treat me, I've done so much, God. I've given everything for you. Why are you treating me this way? How I many have ever been there? God, if this is how you treat your servants, just let me die. Just let me die right here, God, if this is how you're going to treat me. How many know that God was doing amazing things through this man, even though he was hopeless and he, was, he had no encouragement whatsoever at this point of his life? But God was doing something great through one of maybe the greatest man of God we've ever known. But look at him. He wants to die, he 's discouraged and he's hopeless. Let me give you another one: Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Jeremiah would just cry and cry and cry and tell people to repent. God doesn't want to destroy this city, God doesn't want to destroy it. God doesn 't want it in ruins. God wants to save His people. God wants to bless His people. Jeremiah in chapter 20, verse 17, he says, Even though Jeremiah was preaching God's words, he was beaten and placed in stocks. He said, God, I wish I had never been born. Do you see Jeremiah? Faithful to God, doing everything right for God, sitting in a prison cell, and he's like, God, why am I beaten? Why has this happened to me? Why have you left me here? Why am I hopeless? Why am I helpless? If this is how you're going to treat me, God. And we see this hopelessness. And you hear the, the voice of the enemy. Do you hear the voice of the enemy in their ears? Why do you even try? Why do you even try? Why do you do this? Why do you even follow God? But you see God using this so you've got to apply all this to your life what is God trying to teach me I've been, in, I've been in situations in my life and some of you have too where you're hemmed in you can't even move you're like man I can't move to the left I can't move to the right I can't go forward I can't go backward I'm just stuck here and I've got to fight through this and it might be years before I get through this how many of you have ever been there how many have ever been there I can remember uh, overnight, and it had to be God, overnight I lost a million dollars in business overnight in contracts, million dollars, and I had 55 employees and lost a million dollars, and so immediately I had all of my employee taxes that I paid every week, month. All the taxes were due, all the different vendors that I paid. I had contracts, but I was hemmed in because the company broke my contract intentionally but had a legal department that was huge and I couldn't fight it. So I was like the little ant that they just rolled over and moved on. And so overnight I had like $100,000 in debt. Courage was completely gone, had no... Ability to fight it. I had no ability to turn to my left, turn to my right. I had no desire or courage to move forward and rebuild what they destroyed. And so all I could do was, do I file bankruptcy or do I pay it? So I prayed about it and I prayed about it and I prayed about it. And God said, no, uh, you don't do that. You pay every penny. And so I worked and worked and worked and questioned, God, why? Why am I working my life away? I can't do anything. I can't do anything for you because I'm doing this. He's like, just be patient. But God, I'm, I, I don't deserve this. I didn't do anything to deserve this. Just be patient. Just be patient. But God, I could be doing this and I could be doing that and I could be doing this. You're right where I want you. You're right where I want you. God, I want to die. I mean, no, that makes you want to die. You have no money. You look around and you see everybody else doing all these wonderful things. I haven't... I'm not going to say this. You see everybody doing all these wonderful things and you just know I work ten times harder than everybody else and I can't do a thing, God. I have no ability to get out of this. No ability no ability. But you know God, God begins to purify through those things. I didn't have anywhere to turn. And some of you don't either. In some of your situations, you're just going to have to be patient and God is going to work through that and work around that. And God's going to do mighty things in your life. These people... These people, in Haggai's day, God was going to build a temple and His glory was going to fill this house like nothing they had ever seen. But they had some obstacles they had to overcome first. The first obstacle they had was they lost their excitement. How many you know when they first started building this, they were really excited? How many you have ever been excited about serving God and I'm all excited man I'm ready to do it and these people were really excited they had very clear vision and God had put them in a position literally God had put them in a position to say let's do this let's get it done let's do great things let's let God do great things in our life and God had put them in a position to do it but they lost their excitement and this is what's really interesting how many put your spiritual life aside whenever it's not exciting anymore? There's a thing called perseverance. Perseverance, and what does that mean? What does that perseverance mean? It means when I get up in the morning and there's no excitement, there's not people dancing around, singing hymns, doing all these things, all this worship music, all this excitement. When there's no excitement around, do you still serve God? Because once the excitement went away, the people stopped working on themselves. So I just want to ask you today, is the temple still sitting there from 15 years ago, the foundation? God's ready to do something, but you won't do anything because nobody will excite you? Are you waiting for me to do a little dance up here? To get you excited about getting mature in God? Do I have to tap dance the right way to get you to do something for God? Or is your love for God enough that I don't need to be excited? I don't need the right leader to stand up here and tell me what to do. I'm going to do what's right because it's right. I'm going to persevere. I'm going to work through obstacles. And this is what the church in America doesn't understand. There are people all over the world right now that persevere through greater obstacles than we'll ever imagine. But if we get a hangnail, the excitement's gone. And what God wants us to do is be faithful through everything. Whatever I'm going through, and I can tell you the truth, be faithful through the toughest times of life. Be faithful when everybody hates you. Be faithful when everybody loves you. Be faithful when everything is difficult. Be faithful when everything's stacked against you. Be faithful when you don't have any money. Be faithful when you're sick. And God wants us to persevere, and these people wouldn't do it because they weren't excited about it. They lost their excitement. And what God's saying is your faith's got to be deeper than excitement. And you know, there are some churches that every week, they have to fight really hard to make it exciting. Because if they're not excited, they won't serve God. And God's calling us to something a lot deeper than being excited. I'll try to excite you, though. I'll still work at it really hard. I'm not a very exciting person, though, so you'll be disappointed. I'm sorry. Delay. There were delays, and I'm running out of time, so I'm not going to go through their delays, but there were things that delayed them. There's going to be things in your life, and listen to me, I'm giving you wisdom here on a Sunday morning. You're going to have it all planned out how God's going to do it in your life, and you're going to have A, B, and C, and D, and it's all going to be laid out in front of you, and guess what? It's not going to happen that way. It can't happen that way. If it happens that way, your pride will be so out of control that you won't even be able to be lived. You you won't even be able to fit in this room if that happens. Your head will be so giant, you'll look like something from Macy's Parade. All right? So I could just tell you right now, there will be delays, and these people had delays. They thought it was going to happen this way, and it didn't happen that way. God had a better way, and he has a better way for you. And there are going to be times you're going to be sitting. How do you think Joseph felt when he had these visions of his life and knew that God was going to really um, elevate him above his brothers and he ends up in stockades in a prison? He didn't do anything wrong. What did he do wrong? Explain to me what Joseph did to deserve that. The Bible says that God was putting iron in his bones. That God was putting iron in him. He was teaching him how to be a ruler Okay, but all Joseph knew, he didn't know that. All Joseph knew was, I didn't do anything wrong, and I'm laying in this filthy prison for something I didn't do. What do you think Moses felt like when he was on the backside of the desert after God had promised him he was going to lead him? He was going to use him, and he's sitting on the backside of the desert. I'm just telling you, every person that was ever used of God, they had a delay that didn't make any sense. And some of you are in a place in your life, God's saying, trust me, Because the delay in your life right now is me purifying to make you ready for what I'm going to do in your life. But we've got to trust God not only when it's not exciting but when the delay doesn't make any sense. When the delay doesn't make any sense. You know how many times I sat in a church service and said, God, why did you tell me you're going to do this in my life? And here I am. How many times... Have you done that, God? Why did you say you were going to do this? And I'm like, and here's the thing: sometimes God puts you the total opposite of what He told you you're going to be. Like if Joseph is going to be in a palace ruling, you're going to be in a prison with rats. Isn't that amazing. If Moses is going to be leading people, well, won't you be all alone and lonely in a wilderness? You see, God does sometimes the exact opposite of what he's calling you to do because that's the only way he can make you what you need to be. So you're going to go through delays like these people did. Another thing that's going to happen, you're going to find outside opposition, like outside the church because in the church, It's all good. In the church, there's safety. There's Nobody's ever going to bother you here. But you're going to go outside the doors. I'll get to that in a minute. (laughs) But you're going to go outside the doors, and it's going to be like a roaring lion trying to devour you. So you need to expect opposition. So where do you think we get this discouragement from? Not exciting. There's a delay I wasn't expecting. And now there's this ferocious, hungry lion trying to devour me. But be of good cheer because God said you're an overcomer. God said that the thing that is in you will overcome, it's greater than he that is in the world. What's in you will overcome anything you face when you walk outside those doors. Everything that you face, God has given you the power to overcome it. But know this you will be in a fight when you walk out those doors. And it's not going to be the person you work with, it's not going to be your neighbor, not going to be your best friend, not going to be your family. It's going to be principalities and high places working through those people. The enemy working through people. So these people had opposition. In fact, if you read the story, 15 years earlier, they were doing everything they could to stop them, and it was probably the same group of people trying to stop them again. They didn't want them to build God's house. Satan doesn't want your house built. He wants you to lay it aside and say, it's too much work, it's too difficult, it's too hard to face the opposition. I'm just going to let it go. And God said, if you do that, that'll be bad for you and anybody you love, because I want you to be a habitation for me. Fight. Next thing. Inside, there were lots of things that were destroying this work. Number one was pessimism. Pessimism. Everybody said they couldn't do it. People on the inside said they can't do it. Pessimism. How many know that? You're going to in life encounter people who are pessimistic and don't think you can do it. It's going to be in the house of God. They're going to question you a million different ways. And one of the ways that they question this people, get this, the old building was so much better than what you're building. Comparison. How many know that comparison will discourage you? The enemy will whisper in your ear, you're not a very good mom. You're not a very good dad. You're never going to be anything. You're never going to do this. You're never going to do that. You're never going to do this. And the power of the Holy Spirit rises up in us because we're children of God. And courage says, that's not going to happen. You know that discouragement cannot have a place in us. When the enemy says, you're not going to make it, The Spirit of the Lord is what rises up in us. When I get discouraged and I get in this place, when I get in the presence of God, when the Spirit of God gets within me, the Spirit of God says like He did in Haggai, be strong. Be strong because I'm with you. I'm right behind you. I'm right beside you. I'm right in front of you. When the enemy whispers in your ear that you're not better than some other parent, we got to quit comparing ourselves we got to quit comparing the old temple with the new because this one's got Jesus Christ in it. The Messiah is going to walk in, fill this house. He says, I'm going to shake the heavens with you. I'm going to shake this whole world up because of what's inside of you. And if he's inside of me, then what can stand in front of me? And what the enemy wants to tell you is he's not in you. He wants to tell you the spirit of God's not in you. It's all about you. And you're going to say, I'm inadequate, I'm not enough, I'm a sinner, I'm bad, I'm this, I'm that. And the Spirit of God says, no, you're not. You're my child, you have a new name, you're a new person, you're a new thing. And the Spirit of God rises up and it says, I can. But the enemy says, I can. But the Spirit of God says, I can. I can, I will, I will, I will. But the inside forces... Not only within the church, but inside your head. Pessimism. Comparisons. Expectations. Expectations. See, Moses' problem was, God was trying to work that out in him, that he is not their hero. Moses, you're not my superman. Moses, you're not a superhero. God, I can't meet all of their needs. Well, Moses, last time I checked, you're not God. If you go into a situation, and we were talking about that this morning, we go into these situations, we, same, it's the same problem that, uh, same problem Elijah had. Is Moses, Elijah, they would be faithful to preach the word and then they would look at the results. And i say, well, Moses, you're not uh, doing what you need to do because these people are still in idolatry. And Moses would go, God, I'm a failure. God, I'm a failure. I've been faithful to preach your word. Stop there. You've been what? I've been faithful to preach your word. Stop. And the people are, I'm such a failure. No, stop. You've been faithful to preach the word, right? You've been faithful to do what I've called you to do, right? Since when were you the savior of those people, Moses? Since when were you the one that was supposed to provide for their needs? That's my job. And sometimes we beat ourselves up. Sometimes we wear ourselves out. Sometimes we say, I prayed and prayed for my kids. I'm such a failure because they're not doing well. And God's saying, stop right there. Stop. Be faithful. You can be faithful, right? You can be faithful to live the life. You can be faithful with your own life. You can be faithful to pray for your kids. Why are you trying to do my job? That's me. And God is telling you because the expectations are so high, you're being destroyed from the inside out. You know, that's the problem with a lot of pastors. They go home and they feel like they're not winning the world. You know, you go home every day and there's about a hundred things that you've failed at because you failed the people. And God's saying, stop. You're a person and I'm God. Go home, lay down and know that you did your best. Did you do your best? Yes, I did, Lord, beyond my best. Lay your head down and know that God loves you. And what will happen is you'll stop. Doing work for God because your expectations are higher than God ever put them. And that's another lie that the enemy will put in your ear. And you'll go home and you'll say, Why am I even trying? Because I'm failing. I'm inadequate. I'm not doing this job right. And God's saying, Just be faithful to do what I'm telling you. Don't worry about the results. Just be faithful. A lot of things you don't understand, Chad. A lot of things you don't understand. You're not my Superman. You're not a superhero and you're not God. So just be faithful to do what I ask you to do and go home and be happy. Okay? These men were destroying themselves. You realize they were destroying themselves because of expectations. And they had to learn not to do that. We need to learn not to do that. Number five, their view of success, the enemy had built lies their view of success was Solomon's temple because it was beautiful, it was golden. And he said, man, we don't do this. We don't do this. It's like, well, so-and-so took that vacation. I can't take that vacation. So I must not be as successful as that person. So-and-so has that job. So-and-so has that money. So-and-so has this. So-and-so has that. God, why am I living for you? I'm doing everything I can to be faithful, and everything on the outside doesn't look as pretty. See, you just fell headfirst into the lie. And the lie is, I judge everything by external things, and because of external things, I think I'm getting the raw end of the deal, and the enemy has lied to you. The enemy has made you stop working on your life because you see all the outward beauty, God sees the inward beauty, God says that the Pharisees were like whitewashed sepulchers, but inside were dead men's bones. You're going to see people in this world, let me warn you, you're going to see people in this world that have the greatest cars in the world, and you don't have it. They're going to have lots of money. They're going to have the nicest house. You might have a lot of nice things too, that's fine. But you're going to see a lot of people that have beautiful, beautiful things and beautiful, beautiful people. And inside, they're going to have dead people bones. They're dying. And you can't reach them because you're looking at the outside and say, man, it'll never be as pretty as Solomon's temple. And God says, quit saying that. Quit saying that because inside of you is the most precious thing that God ever made. And it's the spirit of the living God lives there. And as long as you keep looking at other people, God can't build his house. You'll stop building because you'll give up. You'll be discouraged. You'll say, "Why do I even try?" God's saying, um, "Because you're Moses, and because I'm going to do like the greatest things that people have ever seen through you." Oh, I didn't realize that. Why didn't God tell him that? If you told me that, God, I would have kept on. God's going to do great things through you, but we can't give up.